Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. people welcome to pain points as usual i'm your host jake painting this podcast is proudly brought to you by the sb nation network and the canis hoopers network uh today we'll be talking a little bit of timbles team building uh to join me to do that is canis hoopers contributor the great friend of the show jack borman what's going on man i'm doing well man how are you yeah yeah good good so um I know that the draft's coming up and we've kind of spent a lot of time on the draft, but I think we wanted to pivot a little bit today. I'm sure we'll still talk draft picks here and there just because they're, they're so relevant to the Timberwolves team in general, but we thought we'd go a little bit of team building and, and trade talk and, and stuff like that. So by the time this comes out, this uh, Jack Borman's latest piece has probably hit the web on Candace Hoopus, but... Um, It'll be based around Ben Simmons. If you read his Devin Booker article, you would know that that Jack is amazing at breaking down players, and and it's not uh he's very impartial. It's, this isn't saying like the Minnesota Timberwolves are certainly going to get Ben Simmons or they're in the driver's seat to get Ben Simmons, but it's more of a a breakdown and what you could expect from Simmons, what a deal would look like if if Minnesota could you know eventually get something over the line. Um, and in general, just really good reading. I, I know that it'll be a big read because because Jack is the master of kind of cramming more thoughts into into one article than than is humanly possible. So, <laughs> <laughs> what what um, I, I guess I'll just throw a few questions at you. Like I don't, I haven't read the article. Obviously, it's not out yet. So, I just want to know, like, while we acknowledge that it's unlikely to happen, it was there anything you learned? or kind of concluded when when watching all this Ben Simmons film and, and when writing a ton of words about him. Yeah, so the the main takeaways that 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 I think I kind of came with came out with um was just that I don't think that there's any player in the NBA um really a, a, anywhere in the NBA. I mean, you could you could argue Giannis, you could argue LeBron, but um I in my opinion, I don't really think there's anybody that's better playing in space than Ben Simmons is. Um just how much ground he's able to cover whether it be from you know above the break with the ball in his hands and a high screen roll, or uh, or on the fast break, uh, he he's just incredible going to the rim if you give him any bit of space, um, which is obviously something that, that stands out if you watch him play more. But in um, kind of going off that, you know, there's not really a whole lot of space to go around in the 76ers offense, uh, just considering that they didn't really have any specialty shooters uh, that had any type of shot gravity. Um, and most of their three point attempts came from, you know, Ben Simmons getting, getting into the lane and, and kicking the ball out. Uh, but without really 
<laughs> without really more than two competent three-point shooters the two guys that i would say would be the competent three-point shooters would probably be you know Ferknan Korkmaz and and uh i'm drawing a blank on his name good god um uh, and shake milton <laughs> um yeah those yeah. are the kind of the two competent three-point shooters that they had you know harris shot way too many threes for how you know mediocre of a shooter he is and, and same goes for josh richardson so just the way that that he's able to play in space but then also create easy three-point looks for, for teammates is incredible um but but since there's not a whole lot of space in that 76ers offense you know i think that he's he's pretty pretty well held back um and, and then just the fact that he and Embiid kind of actively hold each other back in the sense that you know Simmons can't shoot threes so it you know you can sag off a little bit uh on him and give more attention to Embiid in the post but also that Simmons needs room to drive the lane and you don't really want to have a guy like Joel Embiid out on the perimeter um so just that whole conundrum you know I think I think the Sixers are going to eventually break up the Simmons and Embiid uh duo just because I think that they have an extremely high floor with those two on the floor just because they're tremendous individual talents. But when I think you take one of them away or you cash in on one of them, uh, whether it be Simmons or Embiid, um, I think the team's ceiling grows exponentially uh, just because you're able to make a, a more functional and, and fitting team uh, to, to, to have. Um, and, and obviously I think if, if Ben were to end up in Minnesota, um, just the way that the Timberwolves want to play in terms of getting up and down the floor, um, and really spacing it out with shooters and, and getting up in transition and turning defense into offense, I think that you'd be a pretty seamless fit, um, if the Timberwolves were somehow able to swing that. But, but like you said, in no way is it, is it likely in, in the approach that I took in writing it was, was very much a, this is what Ben Simmons is all about yeah, type of, yeah. type of angle. Um, yeah, and, and I guess to keep it uh, through the Minnesota lens, what kind of obviously we've all watched Ben Simmons, but we haven't probably you know broke down the film and studied him like you have been for the last few weeks. Um, what kind of offensive gravity, or, or what do you think he can do on a team like Minnesota, where obviously Carl Anthony Towns needs the ball from both the post and the top of the key, or, or anywhere around the arc, and then also. Obviously, D'Angelo Russell needs the ball as well as a pretty uh, ball-dominant kind of pick-and-roll guard. Like, what what do you think Simmons would bring if, if he was just dropped into that mix as a guy who who certainly needs to play off the ball, you know, probably at least half of his possessions? Yeah, so my thing with Ben is, is he's really aggressive as a cutter, and because his vision is so good with the ball, um, he reads the floor really, really well when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Um, right. And so he's a really strong cutter when he decides to, you know, I would love to see him cut more uh, just because I think sometimes when he's on offense, he can kind of take a few plays off if he's relegated to the corner um, or something like that. But, but he, I mean, he has the ability to put pressure on the defense on every single possession. If he doesn't have the ball in his hands as a cutter, just because he covers so much ground in a, in a short period of time, Um, you know, and, and has really good hands and can go up and catch the ball and lobs and, um, and then cuts as well. And then, so if he were kind of dropped into, into the Minnesota offense, something that, that I think he would be really, really strong with would be, uh, using him as a kind of a cutter out of high ball screen action. So he, he did that quite a bit where he would, he would kind of start with a high ball screen, um, and then kind of bring that into a side handoff action and then cut to the basket. 
uh, which worked out pretty well. And I think that's something that Minnesota could do. Uh, but the other thing you can do is if you have them at the top of the key, I mean, a Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns pick and roll, I mean, is up there for deadliest. And I mean, it might be the second hardest pick and roll to guard behind, you know, LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the entire league, yeah. just because Simmons is insane going downhill. And if you try and have a guy trail Simmons and then also have your big drop, I mean, then Cat's got a wide open three and it's one pass away to to a guy like Russell or, or Beasley potentially um, for an even more open three. So um, just the possibilities with those two in the pick and roll are endless. Uh, and then the other thing that I saw Philadelphia do that I that I that I put in the article and there's a clip in there of that um, is they would use uh, a guy like Korkmaz uh, as a as a screener in an inverted ball screen. Um, or kind of like a small screening, a big, if you will. So Simmons has the ball at the top of the key. Um, and and what happens is he'll pass it to, to Horford or Embiid kind of at the elbow um, and then have Korkmaz like kind of do like a, a screen up uh, kind of at the, right at the nail there. And then Simmons dives to the basket. And if you have two guys that, you know, dive on Simmons when he's going to the basket and you've got a wide open three for Korkmaz, um, and it's just something that's, that's really, really tough to defend. Um, and if, and if cat was the guy who had the ball at the elbow, I mean, you could have cat, you know, just attack one-on-one from the elbow if nothing's there somehow, um, or just have him simply shoot over the defense. Um, so just, just, just having Simmons in the offense, I think would, would really unlock cat more as a cutter, um, and get more open looks for both him and D'Angelo Russell from deep. Yeah. Because I, th- I think that people... The, the stigma, obviously, with Simmons is that he can't shoot and he, he won't shoot. And I think that people would kind of imagine that it, that if you put him with any team, including the Timberwolves, that, that he kind of ruins their spacing and that the the three-point shooting, you know, goes to hell. But I, I think that with the Timberwolves, you know, restructured team after the, the trade deadline... You can. There was a lot of shooting there. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think they were top five in, in both three point attempts and three point percentage. After, and total after offense. offensive rating yeah. and points per game too. Yeah. So and obviously that was a you know fifteen game, fourteen game sample size. So it's not the be all and end all. But the with that kind of shooting around Simmons, at, at the the problems that he brings with the lack of shooting and the refusal to to launch threes really get mitigated a whole lot more because. Not only can the can the players around him make up for the spacing and, and give him more space to drive, but they also they also hit those threes themselves. So so not only are you unlocking these three point shooters because Ben Simmons is obviously an amazing drive and kick player, uh, draws so much gravity in the paint and, and just has excellent vision at humongous size for a guy who's essentially a point guard. Um, but also that's drawing the defenders away from him. So so there's more space for him to drive and not have to pass and, and be able to get into the lane and, and get around the rim and hit those shots. He has a, he has the little hook shots and the, the little kind of fadeaway jumper things that, that work for him as well, close close to the rim. So I, I just, like we said, we're, we're not saying that this is this is close or it's, it's, there's definitely a long way for, for either team to go for, for this to become a deal. But I really, truly don't think that there's many better places than, than Minnesota to maximize... Ben Simmons, and then there's not many players that maximize Carl Anthony Towns like Ben Simmons. Yeah, I completely agree with just about every single thing you said. And, and something that I wanted to point out that, that you mentioned um, 
was that a lot of people say that he can't shoot, but the term that I would use would be that he won't shoot. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, his his shot doesn't look that bad to me. Like I don't. If you just stuck Ben Simmons out there um, and had him start shooting threes, like I think he could probably shoot thirty in between the thirty and thirty four percent from three. Um, yeah, and, enough and to I don't at least think it's slow. It. It's not like an, it's not like an Andre Drummond workout video. You know, when you see him shoot, like it kind of it looks like a jump shot from a wing or from a guard. Yeah, and I mean, and the other thing too, too. I mean, if you think about a guy like Giannis. I mean, I think Ben Simmons' jumper looks a lot better than Giannis's does. And yeah, Giannis, yeah. I mean, and Giannis is trying to add that part to his game. So, uh, but the other thing that I wanted to point out, and, and you mentioned it, that, you know, that you think that Ben would add a lot more than he would subtract from a team. Um, and I completely agree with that because uh, there was something that I did, you know, I was doing some kind of statistical research um, kind of down in the weeds. And so, if you look at the if you look at all of the players in the NBA that played at least fourteen hundred minutes, which is the low end for a guy who's playing most of the season, um, and took at least fifty percent of their shots at the rim this past season, there are only fifteen players in the league that did that, um, and almost all they all of them were centers, with the exception of Ben Simmons, OG Ananobi, and Giannis, and Ben Simmons. Um, was one of four players who shot at least 70% of their shots at the rim. The other three were centers, and Ben did that while having the second lowest percentage of assisted makes at the rim. So essentially, he's incredible at getting to the rim and, and taking good shots at the rim without needing somebody to pass to him inside. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he was able to do that with such limited spacing in Philadelphia makes me think that that his points per game would take a, a pretty big jump from that from the 16 that he averaged um, in Philly or, or 18 or whatever it was um, this past year up into the mid 20s. I think that would happen pretty easily um, just from him being more aggressive going downhill. Um, and so it, it's it's really easy to to see how he would fit in. Um, and, and I don't think that that a guy like Simmons would would make it easier to guard a guy like Cat or to guard a guy like D'Lo. I think it would make it more difficult. Um, just because you'd have to honor them as passers a lot more than than you have. I mean, I mean, especially a lot more than than you had to honor Cat last year. Just considering that you had like Travion Graham and Andrew Wiggins um, <laughs> yeah. shooting threes on the wing. But um, but yeah, he he would be a crazy a crazy unique weapon for the Timberwolves. And and I I think there's a path, um, at least a more clear one, uh, to acquire him than there is to acquire a guy like Devin Booker. Um, especially now considering that Daryl Morey is, uh, is the president of basketball operations and, and we know how close he and he and Gerson Rosas are and, and they've already shown, you know, a willingness to, to deal with one another. So, so that's just something, something to monitor for sure. But, uh, but definitely, like you said, something that, that is more, more, uh, more unlikely than, than likely. Well, well, two more things then, since you brought that up. Uh, first, I want, give me, you know, your, your rundown or give me, what you think would happen defensively? Like, obviously, the offense is great. Minnesota are probably going to be pretty good on offense, but but defense is the flavor of the month constantly, the flavor of the decade for Minnesota. So what do you think Simmons unlocks defensively for this team? Because he's obviously a great defender. We all know that. But but like I said earlier, we don't all watch a whole lot of him or, or spend you know weeks breaking down film on him. So we don't know exactly why he's a great defender. So give me your thoughts on that. And then... Hit me with hit me with a structure, a deal, you know, some way that Minnesota, in your mind, could get this over the line if it were to become a reality. 
Yeah. So when you look at just, you know, the def- defensively, uh, when you look at Simmons, I mean, the place that you got to start is you got to start with just how uniquely huge and athletic that he, that he is. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's six foot ten. He's got a seven foot wingspan. He's 240 pounds and he's lightning quick laterally. Um, so he can he can come up and get physical with you because he knows that he's athletic enough to stay with you. Uh, laterally, so there were often times where where he would guard other ones or you know main ball handlers. So one that I watched was I was watching a game uh, when when they played Bradley Beal, um, and you know most guys when you're guarding Bradley Beal, you probably give him a little bit of space because you know him taking a jump shot is probably a win over you know him getting into the lane and, and making something happen. Um, but you see a guy like Ben Simmons just goes up and attacks him and takes space from him and dares guys to try and, you know, pull a dribble move to get past him. And if that happens, you know, he's, he's so good with timing in his hands, um, guarding on the ball that he can, he can very easily at least poke the ball away or get a steal, um, or, or just make timely reaches, uh, to just disrupt the rhythm of the offensive player. So that's, that's one thing that I noticed, uh, when he's playing off the ball, he does a really good job of, of knowing kind of who the guy he's guarding is and knows when to take risks. Uh, and so, you know, there, there'd be times where, you know, a guy's driving or he, he's guarding a guy, you know, above the break on a three and there's a big kind of waiting for a handoff and he just comes up, sneaks behind the big, takes the ball and goes and runs down and dunks it. Um, so he's very smart in terms of knowing who has the ball and, and when to take risks. Uh, but then too, you know, he, he's just really, really, good in terms of understanding spacing on the defensive end of the floor. So he knows kind of where to position himself on, on drives um, or in the PNR, you know, digging. Uh, he's also very, very good um, with tagging roll men. Um, and so those two things I think would be really important, especially if you've got a guy like D'Angelo Russell um, at the point of attack guarding other ones. Um, you know, you could use D'Lo to guard ones and kind of steer guys into Simmons or Towns. Um, or you could just throw Simmons right there at the top of the key um, and just blow stuff up. But the other thing that I think would be really interesting would be if you played a zone and you played more of an, an aggressive zone with Simmons and a Kogi, um, you know, kind of the top of the key. Or if you played like a 1-2-2 two, two, kind of a trapping zone and you had Culver on one side and, and Russell on the other just because those guys have, you know, really long arms and you could trap with Simmons and those guys. Uh, I, I think it would just unlock more looks that you can throw at a team defensively um, and kind of junk up a game, which I think is important, especially if you want to get in the playoffs. You got to be able to junk games up and, and throw different looks at uh, at, uh, at at different offenses. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and I think, coming from someone who's been watching Jaden McDaniel's film for the last few weeks, I think it's a lot easier to hide. Um, susceptible one-on-one defenders in the corners of those uh, those kind of two-three zones, and I think you could definitely do that with it, with the Russell because or you obviously still have to play kind of between two players, but you never really get into a one-on-one situation or a pick and roll situation. Like you, you're always kind of the the floater on, on the side of that that zone, and if you could have Kyle or Cody and then Simmons at the top of the zone and then kind of hide Russell in the corner. That's probably the best way to, to yeah, to hide him on defense. And, and they obviously tried that last year. Just 
with the man-to-man uh, the man-to-man defense, like they tried to hide Russell as much as possible and get Akogi as the, the point of attack defender. But yeah, I think the zone is actually a really good way to hide to hide guys who are kind of susceptible one on one. But obviously, the depth is a bit harder because you need to funnel funnel them in that kind of zone into a strong rim defender, and, and Towns hasn't proven to be that. But if you have Simmons out there, it gets a lot easier if the the point of attack guy or the guy who's at the top of the key can can really hang with their guy. And and I think length matters a lot more when you're playing a zone. So like, yeah, Russell, I think wouldn't be your typical. Excuse me, I gotta hide this guy in a zone guy just because yeah. most of those guys are someone like Trey Young or Steph Curry where you know they're 62 or 63 and they have a 65 or 66 wingspan at best whereas Russell's 65 and he's got a 610 wingspan. Um yeah. so so that would be interesting. Um and then Cat, I mean Cat's got a 74 wingspan. So so those are I I don't want to say it like almost becomes an asset to have, but I I think being able to play long lineups especially if you had a guy like Simmons would would be really um just a total game changer for the defense and, and kind of going back to the whole Washington thing too. I mean, if the Timberwolves play zone more and, and his game has improved enough to a point where, you know, you can trust him out there and, and we see some of the shooting that he had last year in the G league. I mean, what do you shoot last year? 45% the G league Jalen Noel. Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm like seven or eight, 30 point attempts. Yeah. I mean, like, if, really if any of that is able to translate to the NBA next season, I think you could see a lot more Jalen Noel, um, just because, you know, he played at Washington and, and was, wasn't he, was he, de- he wasn't defensive player of the year, but he was, I think he was on the all defense team at Washington. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, addition- they were, and they, they were really good. Even this year. And they play, when they were and they play zone. Yeah. And they play, yeah, they zone, play zone all the time. Yeah. All the time, no matter what. And I think they played one game man on man for maybe half the game. And I watched 15, 16 of their games, and they play zone 100% of the time. And they're for a team that struggled overall, they, they're they still a pretty good defensive team, especially with, like you said, the length. Like, McDaniels is obviously, like, a freak of nature athletically and work lengthwise. And then Isaiah Stewart is a, is a big dude as well, kind of in that Towns mold where he's quite good right at the rim, but making decisions anywhere apart from that, he was pretty bad. So I think that's, I think it actually, you know, kind of, it kind of works well. Obviously, McDaniel's isn't can you know comparable to to D'Angelo Russell in size in terms of size, but they did try and keep McDaniel's in the corners so that he could just use that length and the the strength deficiencies and stuff that McDaniel's have don't get um, don't get put on show because he never really had to guard one on one at all. Like I don't I could I could not clip one you know video from all the games I watched of McDaniel's playing a single bit of one on one defense. Like that's how. My, that's how much they kind of hid him in that zone or kind of just played to his strengths in that zone. Yeah, I, he's a guy too where, I mean, he was a consensus top five recruit uh, for the class yeah. of 2019. Um, and I mean, everybody thought that he was going to be a lottery pick uh, before the season started. Um, and, and so he's a guy where I think if, you know, if he's around at 33, I think you take a good, hard, long look at it. Um you know, and maybe there's a better, maybe like a Tyler Bay is there, um, and you take him. But he, I mean, he's a guy where I would I would trade back into the second round to go get, um, for sure. I mean, or if or if a pick comes around where like someone wants to trade down, or you can trade down at a 17, and you know, and maybe get like a late first, maybe the Knicks 
want to trade back up, they've got like 27. Um, yeah. And that gives you maybe like, maybe you trade like 17 and um, I don't know, and Culver next year for like a, a pick for like the Knicks first next year or the Dallas pick that they have next year um, could be something interesting um, too, uh, just to get another high, really high ceiling guy like, like McDaniels. You know, he's got a lot of personality and attitude things to work out. But if, if, if that stuff panned out, I mean, I think you could end up getting a huge, huge deal. Um, and again, just goes back to the whole, would enable you to play zone more, which I think we're going to see more and more and more of um, from, from NBA teams moving forward. Yeah, so before we get into that, I know that that I mentioned it and I, I'm sure that people want to know because you are the, the trade expert, the, the free agency expert. You're my, my point of reference on all that stuff. So is there anything you have in mind that you think Minnesota could get Ben Simmons or do you think it's just that unlikely that, that nothing they have right now will be able to get them over the line? So I think that they they do in terms of you know, number one, Beasley, Culver, um, you know, the Brooklyn first. Like, I think they have enough where, you know, they can at least get in the door with a conversation. I, I do think that a, a two-team trade, a two-team trade, is rather unlikely. Yeah, and I think that they would they would need a third team to do it. But a a couple that I laid out were, you know, this first idea. It's this. It'll be the second idea that I have in the article, um, but it's something where the Timberwolves would get someone like Ben Simmons, and then you'd and then you'd use the Thunder to help you out. So you'd send Dennis Schroeder to the Seventy Sixers, Malik Beasley to the Seventy Sixers, um, in a sign and trade, and then um, and then you'd send the number one pick to Philly as well, and then Danilo Gallinari would would come in a sign and trade. So, so that's what Philly would get. And then I also want to note that that number one pick. So I, I sent Bobby Marks a DM asking him if a team theoretically could draft somebody at number one and then just not sign him and wait until the free agency window opens and then do a sign and trade and package Malik Beasley with a new contract. Um, and then like the rights to like LaMelo Ball. Which yeah. and, and that's entirely possible. So that could happen. So in this case, Philly would pick, you know, whoever they want at number one. Um, and then you'd just sit on that and then send that out. Uh, send that out. Which I don't think it's ever been starts. done before, though, has it? Like, I can't remember a scenario where that ever and, actually happened, though. Yeah. And they're, part of the reason why that's able to happen right now is because uh, of this whole COVID so schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the, the, the thing there is that. Um, the thing there is that, you know, since ball wouldn't sign a contract, his, his salary doesn't count there. Um, but, but the way it works is you get Oklahoma city in here. So then you'd send Oklahoma city, Al Horford, uh, Jarrett Culver 17, uh, from Brooklyn. And then the 38th overall pick from Philadelphia. Um, and then Timberwolves own a pick swap, uh, with either Philadelphia or Denver in 2022 for their second round pick suit, so whatever, whosever second round pick is more favorable there, either Philadelphia or Denver's would then get sent to Oklahoma city. Um, and then the Timberwolves would also send a 2023 first, uh, which would be unprotected. Um, and, and the nice thing too, is like getting a guy like Schroeder, like I think Schroeder could be a really good backup point guard for them. Um, 
you know, he's, he's on a one year, $15.5 million deal for this upcoming year, but I, I could see them re-signing him at a much cheaper rate. Um, and then also getting, getting, you know, two really good shooters in, in Beasley and Gallinari, I mean, automatically helps them stretch the floor there. Um, and then if you get a guy like Ball and LaMelo pans out, I mean, that could be a, that could be a really, really dangerous team, um, you know, this upcoming season and, and the season after that. So that was probably the most likely, you know, trade scenario that I could come up with um, before, yeah. the, before the season starts. But I, I think it'd be far more likely that, um, that he would get dealt at the trade deadline um, next, this upcoming season rather than getting, rather than getting dealt before the season, just because I think Daryl will, Daryl will want to see, see that through and see what kind of, see, kind of see what he has. But a- another one that I would look out for is, um, is potentially getting the wizards involved and sending Bradley Beal to the 76ers and then sending, sending kind of the wizards, everything that you would have sent the, would have sent the Sixers. I think that's that's yeah. an interesting idea as well, and and I laid yeah, out a scenario so, in the in the article with that one as well. Yeah, so a lot, like you just mentioned, I think that the the more realistic path here is that that the Timberwolves make those incremental moves to to try to gather pieces and gather gather assets, and then at the trade deadline, or even you know after at this point after next season when when we're kind of trade talks are heating up a little bit that, that Simmons is more likely to come. And I think for me, the, the obvious move here is it, it comes on draft night. I mean, you, you obviously have three picks. I think there's genuine motivation to, to move the first overall pick, as we all probably know by now, um, and, and bring back some assets there that can be flipped again down the line or just implemented into the system and, and potentially thrive like, a, like Molly Beasley did in the trade with Denver. I do think there's other avenues in the draft. I, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if they packaged 17 and 33 and moved up in the draft, which is kind of zigging where, where everyone else is zagging. And, and if you could get a deal kind of with, with a team like the Spurs at 11, who obviously trust their, their scouting department very much, the Spurs have had so much success with guys in the late 20s and in the, in the second round over their huge stretch of success. Um, I think that's if you got someone at eleven. If you if you picked at one and eleven, um, that gives you two really good assets down the line. Assuming that that they kind of continue the trajectory that that either Anthony Edwards or or Lamelo Ball, or, and then someone like a uh, you know Tyrese Maxey or, or I'm not sure off the top of my head who you know Devin Vassell could slip to eleven. Like guys like that, you know, if you get to you get two top you know two lottery picks. Then in a year, that's, that's two really good assets, both on good contracts that you can kind of add into the mix there or at the trade deadline, you know, you could, you could move both of those guys with a James Johnson or one of those guys and Jared Culver, something like that. Like, I think just with, with those draft, draft, uh, draft assets, um, plus a trade chip like James Johnson, I think you can try, start to put together the basis of a really intriguing, you know, trade package. Um, and I think, I think everyone wants that player, that's that third star, that Ben Simmons, that Devin Booker. Um, I think they want that immediately, but it's about building toward it and finding the right pieces through the draft, through the free agency, through some, some, maybe some minor trades like that Malik Beasley trade was where, where it kind of didn't seem very significant at the time, but, but now it seems a bit better, you know, now that Malik Beasley's averaged. 20 a game or, or whatever for, for 15 games. So 
yeah, I think just adding val- uh, adding valuable assets that you can shift around later is is the key to getting someone like Simmons because they just I just don't think they have that that blue collar trade chip right now that, you know unless apart from the the number one pick but but I think the number one pick is on a nice edge because it could be more valuable now if Lamelo Ball or Anthony Edwards enter the league and you know they're crap and and this time next year their values tanked or they could enter the league and be way better than we than we kind of think they are because because most of us have pretty not low hopes but but everyone knows at the top of this draft is fairly weak so if they come in and, and overachieve um you've got a, an even better asset at, at the trade deadline or at or going into next off season yeah and so there's really three risks to run with doing that the first being that um you know the first being that malik beasley just isn't able to replicate the performance that he he had um after after arriving in minnesota so that's number one um and then number two obviously would be you know baller edwards or wiseman or whoever it is just not playing well at all and yeah and And, and that's very possible yeah it, it is very possible and i think that then the byproduct of if that player isn't playing very well, I mean, the Timberwolves probably aren't going to win a ton of games. Um, I I think they'll win more games just with offense um, and to a point where I think they might get a little closer to 500 rather than, I I think they'd be closer to 500 than they would to being the worst team in the league. Um, But I mean, then you start to invite the risk of, you know, towns really starting to get upset um, just with continually losing again. Um, And so, I mean, that's that's just another thing to think about. And then kind of backtracking to the draft, I think you said trading up. I, I, I think trading up is a lot more likely if the Timberwolves don't trade down. Like trading up with 17 is a lot more likely if the Timberwolves do not trade down from number one. Yeah, yeah um, that's my thoughts as well. I mean, if they pick at one, I can imagine them not wanting to, to use 17 and 33. And if you can't you know, get someone with 17, like with James Johnson plus 17 or, or a deal like that. I think packaging both those picks together and just trying to move up five, six, seven spots uh, gets you a guy that you really want rather than someone who kind of falls to you because the other guys are already gone. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it could be a guy, and yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, it could be a self he drops or... Um, you know, maybe you move up to go get like if a Williams slips, I don't know why he would like, I think he's probably going to be a top 10 pick, but, um, but you know, those are, those are two guys where I think you you have it in there in case a guy slips. And then, you know, if not, maybe you go target a maxi or, you know, maybe Desmond Bain is there and you're worried about him getting taken. Um, I mean, there's plenty of guys that you can go grab or maybe like a Kyra Lewis Jr. I think that would be sweet, but yeah, and he's and that's someone right in that range that I said, like eleven with Spurs, you know, or, or ten. Like you get a Lewis, you get a yeah, like a Pat Williams, a Devin Vassell, like all those. Someone's gonna slip in this draft. It's just so unpredictable, and like you know, every report you hear and every everyone I talk to, they they've kind of got different uh, intel from different teams. So, so someone's gonna slip, and if you if you use seventeen and thirty three, maybe you can can be the one team that. That yeah, that zigs when everyone else is ads, and everyone else is trying to move down, and, and you move up, and and you sneak someone that that ends up really good. Yeah, and I think who whomever they would take at an eleven or something like that, like it's got to be somebody that they can play right away, because yeah, because yeah. they 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 would know that 
they'd have to maximize maximize that player's trade value especially especially if you're swinging for a guy like Simmons. I think that's the play if you're swinging for a super uber star like Simmons or Booker. Um but if you're going for a guy like an Aaron Gordon, I think obviously your your strategy your strategy would have to be have to be a little bit different. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. We're doing later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if yeah, if it's an Aaron Gordon or, or a Victor Oladipo or someone like that, I think you kind of just. You try and get him on the cheap, and if you can't, then you just forget about it, and you just move on to the next target or to and wait for the the next big name to to ask out. Because I don't think you can afford to pay overs for for Oladipo or for right. Gordon. Like if you if you can get them for for seventeen and and Culver, like uh, I, I'm taking that deal for either of those guys. Even you know seventeen thirty three and Culver probably for for Oladipo because I'm still. An Oladipo believer, but um, yeah, you don't you don't trade the number one pick for either of these guys. That's that's bad asset management. Yeah, and you know the one thing that I think will happen is I think the Timberwolves have done a good job of of asset management so far. Um, you know, I think that Malik Beasley trade kind of was a perfect example of that. Um, and, and you know, no matter how complex one of these deals might end up being, um, I, I really do think that that this front office is well equipped with uh, with the right people to, to to make that work and maximize maximize that that path. Yeah, if there's ever a guy who can do it, it's Sachin Gupta. Like you know, and and hearing him speak in the in the press conferences and stuff, like that's one smart dude and someone I think it, it got posted, I think Kyle posted on the Tainer Supers account and a few other guys posted it. Like that's just a dude who loves his job and Oh yeah. And really, you know, thrives on, on making intricate deals happen and, and knowing every square millimeter of, of the, the CBA and, and stuff like that. So I think, like you said, like you're, you're very good at coming up with, with deals that I, that I kind of agree with because I thought that there was no deal that, that I would think, yeah, that's possible to, to do with Simmons. But, but that one you said before, like if, if, if the Sixers get back Beasley, the number one pick, and Gallo, um, they're a really good team. Like they're fifty-five wins at least again. Like it, that's a team that that's the kind of team you do build around um, Joel Joel Embiid and obviously Schroeder as well. So it's just yeah, like that. That's it, there's it, all, there, there's paths there. Yeah, and I and you know if you put a gun in my head and, and made me choose who I th- or made me guess who I think you know Philly would build around i i would think it would be Embiid, um just because i i think you see you saw in the playoffs this year you know as much as we want to say it's a guard driven league um and, and that's not necessarily a false statement but having a big guy that you can go to to score but also to you know run your offense through and make plays um i i i think is a real luxury and um i think it wouldn't surprise me at all if if they saw Simmons as a more valuable guy to kind of raising their ceiling than, than Simmons. 
and I think there's there's something to be said about having a franchise player personality, even if it's not completely up to par with the franchise player game. Like I think that in a vacuum, Simmons is a a more versatile. He's a more scalable player as a franchise player and someone who could who can really fit with a lot of a lot of talent, you know, like you can put a lot of players around Simmons and have a really good team, I think more than Embiid. But Embiid really has that that superstar personality, that superstar gravity with the, with the fan base, with, you know, on the court, the the big gains you can have. I don't think Simmons is necessarily got that, that first option mentality where he kind of can embrace a, a whole town and a whole city and, and a whole team. And, and drag and drag them along, and I don't think I think Embiid's personality is at times bigger than his game, but he's obviously yep. a fantastic player, and I think the like these things matter to front offices. Optics matter to front offices, especially a, a new one, uh, a, a you know partially new one in Philadelphia, and I don't think the first thing they'd want to do is is trade Embiid, who is someone who the fans adore and who has has really captured the the hearts and imagination of Philadelphia. Yeah, more and I than mean, more, more than Simmons anyway. Yeah, and when you think of the Sixers, I mean you think of Embiid. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um and and yeah, I think it just kind of goes along with why I think Simmons and Minnesota are, are a perfect match because you know, Simmons can kind of you know, be that kind of quiet guy and lead um and not have to be the face of everything like like cat like cat has the you know the opportunity to do um and simmons can just kind of fit right in and and be in an environment where his game i think is is much better a system that much better suits his game um than than what is currently there in philly yeah so is there any kind of incremental moves that that you see on the horizon, or, or or a player that you that you see Minnesota targeting, I guess this this off season, uh, that that gets you closer to a deal for a Simmons or or a Beal or a Booker down the line. Yeah, so I, I think first of all that you know since the last time we've talked, um, the fact that Minnesota has kind of created some type of leveraging wedge um, with Golden State and Charlotte now that. You know, it's kind of come out that that the guy that those two teams want is Wiseman, um, yeah. and the monkey wrench that gets thrown thrown into that now is that um, Wiseman, you know, apparently has wants nothing to do with Minnesota and doesn't want to play here, doesn't want to be here because of Cat, which is understandable. Um, and and some would think that that would probably hurt the trade value of the number one pick, um, just because I think a team like golden state could for sure call Minnesota's bluff and be like, I dare you to take Wiseman and see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I think too, that, that Charlotte, I mean, Charlotte knows what golden state wants. And I think there's probably a sense of urgency that for them to really well, want to wanna... get the, go get their guy because they're so close to the number one pick. Yeah. They um, want to leapfrog. They want to leapfrog golden state and not give right. them the chance. They don't want, they don't want to call golden state's bluff. Like golden state would be willing to call Minnesota's because, Golden State are a very good chance to just take Wiseman, and if that's the guy they're, uh, you know, yeah. hammered with, they're in love with, like Minnesota is the obvious candidate there to to leapfrog down and just give no one else a chance to take your guy. Yeah, absolutely. So the first deal that I kind of have in mind is you go to Charlotte and you say, "All right, you know, obviously we'll take the third pick, um, 
And then you can either give us PJ Washington or your first round pick next year. And I think Charlotte, I mean, if Charlotte really wants to play with fire, I think they would do that. Um, You know, I think that they'd probably rather give up a guy like PJ Washington than a guy like Miles Bridges. Um, But I think if you're dealing with Charlotte, there's a damn good chance that you get out of that, either their first round pick next year, um, which obviously you'd probably have some protections on it, but I mean, still that'd be a really good first round pick next year. Um, And then obviously a really strong young guy in NPJ Washington or, or a versatile defender and, and hyper athletic guy and, and miles bridges. So like one of those three assets in addition to the number three pick, I think is the best place to start because then depending how the chips fall, you know, let's say uh, Wiseman goes one and the warriors aren't able to trade number two um, or stir up enough trade value. Let's say they take, I don't know, maybe like an Acoro number two. Um, or someone like that, just because I don't think that they're going to take Wiseman, or I don't think they would take Ball or Edwards there. Um, so let's say that that they end up picking and they take a guy like Isaac Okoro at two, um, which you know may not be the best kind of like use of the asset, I guess. But um, but and then Minnesota sitting at three, and Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards are still on the board, and those have kind of been the guys who everybody expected to be competing for the number one pick. Um, you know, Chicago's sitting there at four, um, and, and that's a team that, that I think uh, LeVar Ball has, has mentioned that LaMelo would be good. I think the two teams that he mentioned were this week were uh, Detroit and Chicago. Um, yeah. And so I think, I think you could almost start another bidding war and trade back again um, and get a team like either Chicago to move up a spot or Detroit or New York to move up from, from seven or eight, respectively. Um, and then and then you've come and then you've come into draft night and got two extra assuming that Chicago or Detroit or whoever will give you an, an asset on top of the pick. Um, then you come in, you've got two assets and and still a pick in the top ten, which I think would be highway robbery. Um, yeah, like I, like I don't there there shouldn't be a single Timberwolves fan that that wouldn't leave that scenario absolutely thrilled. Yeah, and then I think because it also gives you the opportunity then to just kind of sit on those assets and, and go next year uh, or this upcoming season and then just kind of see what happens with those and then make those trades. Um, so, I, I mean, I think there's a world in which, you know, you could potentially get Wendell Carter from the Bulls for them to move up one spot um, or, you know, maybe take a risk and try and get, you know, another center like a guy like Daniel Gafford uh, from Chicago. So those are those are two names that kind of come to mind. I, I don't think that they would part with Laurie Markkinen, um, but Wendell Carter is kind of the guy that I would think about just because, you know, I, I think they could be lower on him. His, his salary is a little bit lower. Um, he's more of a defensive minded guy, which I think the Timberwolves need. Um, and then if you're looking at New York, I, I think the guy that, that stands out to me is Frankie Smokes. Um, just because he's a pit bull defender at the one spot, um, and if and if he's able to shoot it any better than he's been able to, um, he could be that kind of number two point guard um, that that the team has really been looking for. Um, and I would be fine just taking Frank Nilakina and eight for them to move up five spots. I mean, maybe they give us you know twenty seven or whatever it is they have this year. Uh, is it twenty seven? Yeah, it's twenty seven. Uh, yeah, twenty seven yeah, yeah, Clippers yeah. for Marcus Morris. So. You could you could take twenty seven from them. You could then maybe say that we want the Dallas pick next year. 
Um, so there's a lot of different things. I mean, and then if you think about the Pistons, um, you know, maybe it's Luke Kennard or maybe it's Derek Rose. You bring Derek Rose back like that would be, that would certainly be an interesting one. Um, or a guy like Svi Mikhailuk, um, a, a nice shooter or, or Bruce Brown. I mean, there's a lot of guys in Detroit that I think you could make that work with. Um, so, but, but like what, if, if you were kind of going into draft night, um, with the situation that the Timberwolves are, are kind of placed in, what what do you think you you're like, uh, like, but like, what are your priorities on draft night, or kind of what if you were running the team, kind of how would you play out draft night, uh, kind of what what's going, what's in the back of your mind, or what's your end goal going into draft? Yeah, night? I I think. I think the first one is that you try and like I think you're definitely going to try and trade down, right? So I think you want to try and bring back a, a future pick, preferably next year, where you don't have a pick and the draft at the moment is looking really strong. I mean, it looked really strong two years ago. This this draft class that we're in now, so you can never you know count all your count all your chickens there. But I think that, yeah, the priority is that you want to get. You want to get an unprotected pick for next year from a team, from a team like Detroit or, or New York or something. That's probably not going to happen. And then I think I think it gets to a point where uh, it could from protect- it could from Detroit just because Detroit has has um, Dallas's pick next year. Yeah, yeah. So I I think that if you can get something like that, then that's probably the the and you want and you want a real asset next to that as well. Like you you want. Uh, a Frank Nilekina, who I'm not overly high on, but I do I do agree with you that he could be a really good backup point guard and you know a, a genuine rotation piece. Um, or you want yeah you want a, a like Dembuya or, or someone like that. Like you want something tangible. You, you're gonna ask you're gonna ask pretty high because you're not giving away this pick, and it, even though the, the value is certainly not as high as it usually is in, in a draft, it's definitely still holding value. I think that you probably exhaust those options and you don't get really anywhere because I think a lot of teams will be pretty hesitant to to move an asset and then a, and then a future asset for for the top pick when I think a lot of teams are probably pretty like a teams in that five or four to ten range are, are probably pretty comfortable just picking Isaac Okoro or, or picking Devin Vassell or Killian Hayes like I think a lot of teams would could convince themselves that like. Those guys would be will be better than than Lamelo Ball have less you know bust potential than Ball or Edwards. Yeah. Uh, so and then I think then I think you go. I think I think then you might just try and put all your eggs in one basket, and that basket being this year. I think then you go to to Atlanta and you say, "Give us Kevin Herter and give us pick six for number one." That, Do you think they want to move up though? I think that they could convince them. I, I think it depends on what Trey wants. I think if Trey, who by all reports is really close with Anthony Edwards, like I think if he says, uh, get, get Anthony, Anthony Edwards, Edwards. Yeah. yeah, as as another guy who can take the, the storing load off me, because obviously, like Hurd is a good scorer, John Collins is a good scorer, but but none of them really take the ball out of Trey Young's hands on the perimeter or stop him from you know getting double teamed every night and having to score thirty five for them to win. Um, Anthony Edwards does do that, I think, and you know Georgia native friends with Trey Young. Like, I think, I honestly think that that like a herder and number six is is a one of the most likely deals. And I think then you just then you're just trying to build that core 
this year. You, you get hurt, you, you put some faith in him, then you can put a, a, a legitimate cap on how much you pay Malik Beasley because he becomes a little bit more redundant. Like you don't need to pay him fifteen million any anymore. Like if he wants, if, if he wants, you know, four years, sixty million, you just let him go Tom, and take luck. Herder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I don't, I don't think go. he, especially, especially considering now, you know what came out of the the legal situation. Yeah. I don't think there's any team in the league that would offer him four years for sixty million. Yeah, so then I think, and I think in that same that same strategy, that's the one where you deal with Chicago as well. You you take four and Carter Jr. for one, and you know you don't ask for any more assets. You put your faith in Carter Jr. that he can be your your starting power forward next to Towns, and then and then yeah, you, you either try and move up from seventeen thirty three, like we said before, like package those together, and, and get up into the into the early teens or you just take someone at, at 17 and 33 and then you kind of just figure it out from there try and get someone you know a christian wood or or someone in free agency that that can be a long-term piece and you mm-hmm. just you know give it a shot next year and hope that you don't you know come 11th which they probably will anyway but i think you know like i just think they're i think it's a tough spot i think and then then the third option is you just take anthony edwards or take lamello ball and hope to God that they become good. <laughs> yeah, I think that the unfortunate thing is that you're just kind of playing with fire <laughs> no matter which path you go down. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's, there's so many avenues for Gerson Roses to get fired in three years because of this draft. Like, you trade down and you get Isaac Okoro and he never learns how to shoot and he, you know, is not is nothing more than kind of a, a taller Josh Okoji which we we both don't think he will be, but you know that that's 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 something that could happen. And then Anthony Edwards ends up a five time All Star. Um, <laughs> you, that you know you lose your job, or you take Anthony Edwards and at number one, and Isaac Okoro ends up a five time All Star, and Anthony Edwards is you know Andrew Wiggins two point but even smaller. Right. And then you get fired. Like there's, it's he's definitely like you said. He's playing with it's playing with fire, and he has no choice but to just play with that fire. Oh yeah, which is just which is unfortunate. But I think you know he he's a guy who I think externally seems very confident in in the plan that they have and, and what they have in front of them. I mean, obviously, no front office is going to be like, you know what, we don't feel that great about where we're at. Like, no one's going to yeah, say that. Yeah. Um, but just, lo- I mean, w- watching some of that media availability from Sachin, I think, um, uh, just just showed how, how, like, eager they are to attack this and how excited they are at the prospect of just having this kind of ringer in front of them. Uh, that they got to go through to to kind of get to where they want to be. I think it, I think it makes it fun for them, and, and and I think makes me feel a little bit better knowing that they're like ready to attack this and and you know want to make the best of it. But you know, I think it's going to be interesting what happens if somehow they're unable to get out of number one. Um, yeah, I think and I think that they they know that that's definitely an option. Like I don't think they're going to throw the pick away just because everyone thinks that Minnesota should trade down. Like, I think if they don't get real assets, if they don't think that the asset they're getting in return is more valuable than Anthony Edwards or the Lamello Ball, then they'll just pick the guy. And like Who we do said, you think like, that would be? I think it would be Edwards. I so think, do I. I. I was. I agree. 
I think uh, there's a lot of things that I don't believe, you know, in the media right now, obviously, like a lot of smoke screens. But, but one thing I do believe is that Lamelo Ball probably isn't doing very well in interviews. Every interview I've seen from him, every, you know, the Mike Schmitz breakdown, like he, he seems to really struggle in front, you know, in a personality wise. And it's not a, it's not in a LeVar Ball way. It's more of a, um, I think his whole game is based on instinct. And I think when people ask him to explain his game or to explain things in depth, it's just not there for him. And that's, you know, that's good and bad because, like, this is a kid who just plays without... I, I don't want to say without knowing what he's doing because, obviously, he, you know, he knows he's been playing basketball all his life. But when you hear him talk about all- his game... What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say he's played a lot of unstructured basketball. Yeah, exactly. And he's just, like, it's just pure instinct for him. Like, you know, in those, in those um, yeah, Smith's breakdowns, like, he... He says, like, what went on here? And every answer is just like, oh, well, I, you know, I saw the pass and I did it. Like, he's, he's not going to break down a play for you. He doesn't seem to really be that kind of point guard. Like, he's not that Chris Paul point guard where he knows every play in the playbook and every play in the other team's playbook. Like, he's just the guy who's just going out there and playing ball. And, and I, and and I, I think I, I can see him from... dropping. Go ahead. I can see him dropping just because teams that were already, I guess, teetering on the edge of, of whether he was the right pick or not, uh, lose a little bit of confidence in in his ability to, to learn and to grow in, in a team structure just because, as you said, like he's just played unstructured basketball for his whole life. He's never been asked to play defense before this year in Australia. And and even then, like, it was so obvious. It was more that, showtime that, than anything else. Yeah, even then he was still given the keys to the offense and, and never, you know, hooked out of the game for for shooting a thirty footer with, with seventeen seconds on the shot clock or something. So, it's yeah, I think teams who are on edge about him, which I think Minnesota would be one, obviously because they have so many options. Um, and I think if they're choosing between Edwards and Ball, I think Edwards is the more scalable prospect. Like you got you've got to change, you've got to. You can just drop Edwards in, you know what I mean, and, and kind of get talent to get him where he fits in. Or, you, but with that, with Ball, you really need to to structure a team around Ball, and then he could be really good. But but with Towns and Russell, like, do you can you afford to to structure your team around a rookie? Probably not. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't think you really can, especially if you're gonna, you know, especially if you've you know, you're putting cat first and you, you also want to make the playoffs. Like, I just don't know how you can structure. I just don't know how you can structure your team around that. Um, and, you know, I think the interview process is going to be important because, you know, I think people kind of question balls drive and Edwards drive and, and kind of everything that comes with that. But I, from, you know, Anthony Edwards is, I, I think he's more of a competitor than ball is. And I think yeah. that that I, I trust Anthony Edwards' development a lot more than I trust Lamelo Ball's development, just because of the people that that we've seen them to be. Um, but you know, it'll be really interesting, and and I'm and I'm glad that we agree on the on the you know if you had to plant your flag and, and take a guy, who would you pick? Um, just because it's not a not a glamorous situation to be in for sure. Um, just yeah. because and I think so we've much said unknown. to each other before. I think we've said to each other before. Like both of these guys are probably going to be pretty bad next season, and I think 
it's important for for Timberwolves fans if if Ball or Russell do end up on this team that you have to give them a bit of time, and that doesn't mean that you know you can't criticize them or you can't have your your reservations about them. But like these aren't Zion Williamson's, they're not Carl Anthony Towns, like they're guys who are going to come in and probably struggle. Like, Anthony Edwards is probably going to shoot 40% from the field, but he's probably going to have nights where he scores 30. You know what I mean? Like, and he's going to have nights where he scores nothing. Like, that's the kind of player he is right now. It's not going to magically change because, you know, he's gone up a level. Like, he's not going to get any better. And LaMelo Ball is going to have nights where he can't hit a shot, where he can't hit a three, where the passing doesn't do enough to to make him a positive on the court. But, but I think you have to give both of these guys time. And I think that's the problem. You know, that's the crux of this is that even if you take them as an asset and you want to move them in a year, like they're, they're not, the likelihood is they're not going to blow up in the next 12 months and, and become a, a crazy valuable asset compared to what they are now, just because they're going to struggle in their rookie season. They're both guys who need a lot of development, but the, the potential is what catches the eye and what has them as the consistent consensus top two picks. So what, it's what a would, tough one. What would you put the chances of either of them improving kind of their position as a as a as an asset? Like what would you what would you put the chances of that at? Uh, I or think, who do you think would have a better chance of of becoming a more positive asset than he is right now? I think it's bold, to be honest, because I think that I think the ball. I think they're both going to struggle with their with their shooting percentages and with their efficiency. But I think that, and I think, I have more faith that Edwards will become more efficient and become a good scorer. But I think from day dot, Ball is going to be able to do other things, which take your eye away from the fact that he's shooting, you know, thirty eight percent from the field and twenty five percent from three. Like he's he. Doesn't you know? Everyone knows and everyone harps on about it, but he's a truly elite, elite floor general, um, and and he rebounds and I, and I think he'll I think he'll have decent like steal numbers. I don't think he'll be a good defender, but I think like when you if you box store browsing, which which we both know isn't the the way to evaluate players, but you know that's that's how you get hyped up. You know if you're if you're averaging twelve. Eight and eight compared to Edwards's, you know, fourteen, three and three. I think that 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 kind of is the basis of of, of skyrocketing your value. So I I wouldn't wager either guy will have a better value, but my pick would be Ball because I think from day dot he has an elite talent that at least he'll be able to show um, straight away rather than than just looking at it and thinking he'll be able to do this in the future, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. And I also think that, you know, based on where we're at, like there might be teams who are lower on him now to begin with, so there's more kind of like room for him to climb. Yeah. If that makes sense, kind of more more yeah. rungs on the ladder for him to climb, which I think could be could be interesting. Plus, I just think that there's more of an unknown with him than there is with Edwards in terms of how their games will translate just because – I think evaluating a guy playing in the Australian league or the NBL is is much more difficult in terms of their, you know, translation to the NBA than there is, you know, going from going from college basketball, especially to high yeah. major school like Georgia. Um, but but yeah, it'll just be an interesting situation to monitor and one where, you know, <laughs> for better or worse, you know, I trust 
I trust the the Timberwolves front office to to make the right move in terms of positioning themselves in the best possible way to get a star, just because I think that's the way that or that's the ultimate goal out of this draft in this offseason. Um, just because I think they understand the prospect of you know, it's it's much harder to build a consistent winner in a small market and it's almost impossible to win a championship in a small market unless you have an insane amount of star power. Um, yeah. and, and I think obviously that, that just has to start with consistently making the playoffs. But I think, you know, if you're able to go get a third star, that that becomes a much more manageable task and it's much easier to separate, separate yourself from the New Orleans or the San Antonio or the Sacramento um, the, or the Memphis in, in the Western Conference um, because it's going to be you competing against all those teams for, for that last spot, um, potentially. So, yeah, I, I did. On that note, do you think kind of at 17 or 33, like let's let's play hypothetical and say that they keep both of those picks and even if they, you know, like forgetting what they do with the number one pick, if they, if they keep both of those picks, do you think that they will swing on a guy who's kind of high potential and maybe not, not so ready right now? Or do you think like a, like a Jaden McDaniels or, or someone along those lines? Or do you think they... We'll try and play it safe with those two picks, and maybe get two guys who can slot into the rotation straight away, like a like a Sadiq Bay or or a Desmond Bain or someone like that. So I obviously think that they would try and go for Bain just because I think his shooting would be the most alluring to them. Um, yeah. But when it comes to Bay versus McDaniel's, I think it depends on where you're at. Like if you're at 33, I think you'd probably take Bay just because I think Bay is more useful to you right away. Um, but if you don't, so you, so you think, but you think that they, they're not going to take a guy who's going to be in the G league for two years, but who could end up, you know, as a, a third option rather than a guy who's probably going to play 15 minutes at least straight away, but might never be more than, than, you know, your fifth starter. I think it depends on how confident the Wolves feel in the rotation, to be honest with you, just because I think that they do feel pressure to win this season in some capacity. Like, I don't think they need to go win 50 games, but I do think they need to win 35 or 40 games at least. I think to do that, if you're not going to get Simmons or or Booker or Beal, I think to do that, you need to have depth. Like, you need to be able to... You can't have massive drop-offs when Carl Anthony Towns isn't on the floor. So you you need depth. If you want to win 40 games, you need to have a team rather than Towns and, and some other guys. Yeah, and and I think that there's there's a really strong argument that can be made either way on that, um, because you know on one hand you need to win so Cat doesn't get pissed off and leave, but on the other hand, like if you take Jaden McDaniels at 33, and you go stick him in the G League and he just balls out in the G League, and you got guys like him and Jared Vanderbilt, um, chances are you're not going to trade both of them in a deal. But I mean, both of those guys were. <laughs> really, really highly touted high school prospects that didn't have great first seasons just because either of injuries or, you know, foul trouble or whatever it may be. They just didn't have the freshman seasons you thought. And so taking them in the second round, I think makes a lot of sense just because I think the potential is still there with them. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. a matter I, of, I think Jaden McDaniels, um, at his best is a really, really good player. I also don't have a lot of faith that he, Hits that, that peak, but I think, like, I think that even if you turn him into a rotation player, like, players who can do what he does at, at six foot ten, 
seven foot wingspan, like long as hell, can run pick and roll, can shoot off the dribble, um, great shot blocker around the rim. Like I think, yeah, I think I think if you can if you can hone that and harness all all the goodness inside McDaniel's and kind of uh, expel some of the, the badness, then um, then he would be a great pick at thirty three. But like you said, like. You need guys, You also need guys to help you win now, and that's that's your Tyler Bay, that's your Desmond Bain, that's you know Trey Jones, like guys like that. They um they help straight away, and, and maybe that's the key to keeping Anthony Towns is getting guys who can give you five extra wins in a season. Yeah, and you know it, whether where they stake their flag on that, I think um, could also have a lot to do with you know what they feel about what they feel about. Um, what they feel about uh, the free agency class as well. So yeah, yeah. So, um, so is there anyone? I mean, I, I want to get into schematic changes, but we're, we're kind of running out of time. But is there any? Is there any guys? I guess that that stand out to you as, as free agents. Like, like, would you take the same approach in free agency? Would you be going for? for guys who you think can improve you long-term or guys who are going to give you five extra wins next season? Or do you think that all depends on what you do on draft night as well? I think it depends on what you do on draft night. Um, but I, I think, you know, you've got to have a, a plan for both, obviously. Um, so I think that it makes more sense to go for kind of a higher, um, I think it makes more sense to kind of go for like a higher ceiling guy in the draft just because we've, we haven't seen them in the NBA, whereas like a free agent, you know, on some level we've seen them play in the NBA. So we know what yeah. they're, they, they're like, um, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think too, it all depends on who's there at 33 um, or if the Timberwolves trade down from 17. Um, and they, and they have, they don't have a lot of roster spots. I think that's the, the one of the most intriguing things in, in this off season is like, they're pretty much, their roster is pretty much full at the moment. Like someone's, gonna get waves like i don't know if it's gonna be noel i don't know if they're just you know gonna put the like not you know sign the the 33 to a two-way deal or you know like there's there's i think they have 14 15 players on their roster right now already so here's vanderbilt gonna get crunched out like it's it's hard to see them picking three times like with the roster they have right now yeah i mean i the only scenario in which i see that happening is if you know they they were just swinging for the fences with a third pick. Um, yeah. I think you can probably guarantee that, that Spellman goes, and I think Jacob Evans gets waived as well, um, especially if they pick three times, because those two seems to be uh, really on, on the on the outer on this in this rotation and, and kind of just guys who, who never figure to, to play or to be a part of the future. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, so... Is there anyone just before we go? Is there anyone that that straight away like you know? I know we're we're at least a few weeks away from it, but is there anyone in free agency that that you've kind of got your heart set on at, already with the with the mid level, of course? Um, you know, not really. I mean, Derek Jones Jr. is a guy who I think would be really interesting, um, yeah, just too. as a as a fill in piece and a guy who I think will for sure they'll be able to afford. Um, but um. You know, I, other guys, I mean, it's just hard to find free agent guys that you think the Timberwolves are really going to be able to afford. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe Mo Harkless. I don't know what his market is going to end up looking like, but that's a guy I think I would 
take a look at with the full mid-level. Um, you know, Etwan Moore is, a, is just a really solid shooter that I think could be interesting. Um, and then obviously Jay Crowder, uh, just because I think you know, the championship pedigree that he has playing in the finals this year, but also just the toughness that he brings on both ends of the floor and just the veteran, you know, presence in the locker room, I think is, is going to be really important just because the Timberwolves don't, don't have a lot of those guys. Um, and is something that I think they're going to need to find sooner rather than later, just because I don't think you can have a bunch of 24, 25, 26 year old guys in a locker room and expect to, to be really successful, especially when shit hit, excuse me, especially when shit hits the fan. Um, and then the last guy, who I think the Timberwolves should really take a take a good hard look at and, and probably make a run at uh, would be you know I I, I don't think Jamichael Green is going to decline his player option so I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily go with him but Justin Holiday is the other one um, that I would think yeah. of from Indiana just because he's a really really good shooter um, who who who's a much better defender than I think a lot of people give him credit for so um, so I, but I that's think, the kind of archetype you seem to be going for is that yeah. that two-way wing or even more defensively minded wing who can who can still give you enough three-point shooting like that seems to be the, the only thing that that is kind of in surplus at the moment in this fragile class like just like the draft class it's it's really the cupboards are really bare in the fragile class so so yeah i agree i think i think you need to get a wing, as someone who can probably play a bit of small ball for, like I know Holiday's probably not that guy, but like Harkless, Derek Jones Jr. is still my first option just because I think he has uh, elite defensive potential, albeit maybe a bit spotty on a on a play by play possession, you know, basis. But um, yeah, I, I, it's hard at the moment that it's 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 just a twenty twenty year right now. Like the free agency, the draft, like none of it is working out when when the Timberwolves really need it to yeah I I yeah I mean the more I the more I think about him I think holiday makes makes a lot of sense I think there might be kind of a pseudo bidding war um pseudo bidding war for holiday just because you know I I think his contract this past year was I think well below what what he could make I think he'll get pretty close to the to the non-tax pyramid level right at that nine million dollar nine and a half million dollar range um, but I mean, just looking at his synergy right now, I mean, <laughs> small sample size, but using the hundredth percentile and handoffs, um, and then spot up 74 percentile, um, uh, off screen, 64 percentile. Um, and he was 90th percentile in jump shots, uh, which is obviously really great in 87th percentile in three pointers. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he definitely fits the mold and, and hopefully would be a guy that that they take a look, a good look at, um, with, with the, not with the mid level though. I mean, is that something that you think it would make more sense for the Timberwolves to split up into, you know, two guys, or, or is that something you'd rather see them kind of throw all at one person? I think, I, I think I, I would, I want them to throw it all at one person, but I don't know if there's a player that warrants that. And I think, you know, in, in a normal, you know, normalish kind of, free agency class where you know in next year's where there seems to be a lot of good players in it and a lot of a lot of good role players as well uh i think i'd be happy for them to just throw the whole you know nine and a half or whatever million dollars at um at one player but i i don't think i don't think with the roster the way it's constructed with towns and russell and their contracts uh, i don't think you can afford to 
overpay anyone. You can't afford to overpay Malik Beasley. You can't afford to overpay Derek Jones Jr., who I think value tanked a little bit by not really being able to get on the floor during the playoffs. Um, so I, I think you, I think you could probably get like a like Mo Harkless and and Derek Jones Jr. if you like. Like I think you could get one of them at four million and one at five. Like especially or, if you gave no, them. I hope to get one at the biannual. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is possible and then, too. And I think you could give Derek Jones Jr. probably the full MLE over a few years just because he's young and you, and you can probably try and bet on potential, you know, but it's... I don't, yeah, think, I don't, they, think, I don't think they would have to though. No, um, I don't think he... I think he might get like a like a three-year three 21 or something. Like I can, you know, maybe four, like, you know, 315 or something. Like five to seven million seems to be about right for him because he did have a really good regular season but he couldn't get on the on the court in the playoffs because he couldn't shoot so uh teams see that and teams every team needs the shooting but i think um i think he'd actually be really good in minnesota as a four in minnesota's team just because they have enough shooting to cover him and they he would he's just a ridiculous help side defender so and and a good one-on-one defender as well so Derek jones jr is my uh you know quote unquote guy uh, in free agency, but there's really not a lot there. I think if you can split it up and get two guys who can give you 20 minutes a night, you've done pretty well. Yeah, and I think that's possible too. Um, just because, you know, I think that there could be guys or could be teams that, that really just want to kind of keep their options open. Um, and and, and I think really the just try and save teams... as, many, as much as they can for next year. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Is that the teams who, you know, are, are high-profile destination teams like your Miami's, like at the moment, Milwaukee's still one of those while they have Giannis. Uh, Dallas is always a team that attracts attention. Um, obviously, the Lakers, Boston, you know, Clippers, stuff like that. Like, I think team those teams who have free agents, I think they're the ones that are probably gettable just because, like, Miami aren't going to give Derek Jones Jr., any money if they don't have to because they think they have a legitimate shot of, of landing Giannis next year or landing, you know, uh, Paul George or someone like that, like in a trade. So, um, yeah, I think guys who are coming out of contracts on those big teams who are, who are looking to keep their, their cap space open, uh, for a run at someone next year, they're the guys that fall through the cracks a little bit, and I think they're, they're the ones that Minnesota can, can kind of uh, sweep up the, the, the scraps. And that might be the best strategy for them, too, because um, I don't I mean, I mean, don't think they're going to want to get in a bidding war with anybody, um, and I just don't think it makes a whole lot of sense for them to spend more than they have to, um, just because I think, again, they could take a similar you know, approach that they took last year where, you know, they could get guys that, that could get in the back end of the rotation um, on minimum deals or super cheap deals, and and have those guys outplay what their perceived value is and they become more positive trade chips that could contribute to a playoff team on a minimum deal, which obviously is really important um, and and kind of gives you a leg up on the buyout buyout market um, just because you can trade the guy instead of buying him out and having another team, another team pick him up, which I think could be important and, and allows you to pull off deals like, you know, the one they the one they pulled off for Beasley at the deadline this past year. So, um, so those are those are kind of the, the different scenarios that, that I would I would think about there. 
Um, and yeah, and just just we'll, we'll make this the last thing. But but what are your thoughts on like Christian Wood? Like I know there's been a lot of reports, Bobby Marks, a few other guys that that say he's his value or his range is going to be about the MLE. Um, do you think he's a guy that Minnesota will even entertain the thought of, or do you think, like you said, like the bidding war for him is just going to be too much to even dip your toe into because at at the full MLE, um, I think there'll be at least 10, 15 teams who, who offer Christian Wood deal. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think Christian Wood would fit really nicely in Minnesota, but I don't think that there's a way that they would sign him without it being a sign and trade. Um, and I, I don't know why Christian Wood would come to Minnesota over anywhere else. I mean, I, I understand yeah. the fact that the Timberwolves might have, you know, <laughs> the the space under the tax line to make that happen if they wanted to trade, you know, James Johnson and and the rights to the player at 17. Um, but again, that's just, <laughs> I mean, that's just like tampering waiting to happen. Like you've got to tamper if you yeah. want to make that yeah. happen. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm Christian Wood. Like I would, I would love it if, if they somehow made it work, but, uh, but I just don't necessarily trust that, that 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 would that would work out yeah yeah i think yeah i'm kind of in the same boat i think that he'd be a really good fit and obviously there's a there's a whole the power forward spot in minnesota's uh rotation but if if he's got 15 teams offering him the same amount of money uh, i can't see a reason why he'd choose minnesota even over you know a boston or or an la like if, if if it's the full mle most teams are going to be able to give it to him and and that kind of really destroys Minnesota's hopes of being a team that stands out off the page for him. Yeah. Agreed. hundred yeah. percent. Well, um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Um, we did have some other stuff to get into, but we kind of just, uh, rambled as we do. So we'll leave it at that. We'll definitely be back where the, we've got the live draft podcast coming up in, what is it now? Three weeks, a bit less than three weeks until the draft. So I'm looking forward to that, and I'm sure I'll probably have you on one more time before that. But, um, yeah, thanks as usual. Everyone, if you're listening to this, if go and check out Kane of Supers. Um, Jack's piece will probably be out by the time um, you're hearing this, but if it's not, um, just keep your eyes peeled for that because I can guarantee you it's going to be awesome, just like the Booker piece. And, and the Booker piece blew up on Twitter and made Jack famous for a week. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure the Simmons piece will do the same thing. Yeah, and, I um, I appreciate it, man, and uh, and it's it's always good being on with you and, and uh, talking with you, and um, yeah, we've got we've got an exciting exciting two and a half weeks to to go here, and uh, and I'm I'm just through, I'm just super excited to see see what comes of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Saying um, so yeah, thanks for coming on, everyone else. Um, like, rate, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff, and um, I'll see you guys all next week. <laughs>